Welcome to the Secrets of High Demand Coaches podcast, where I interview some of the best coaches in the business to find their secrets and share them with the world. I'm Scott Ritzheimer, founder and CEO of Scale Architects, and we help founders and leaders find the right coach at the right time so they can achieve the predictable success they deserve. And a huge part of that is helping great coaches do great work that creates enormous demand for their services with way less effort. If you're a high demand coach, I'd absolutely love to share your story and expertise as well. So stick around to the end of the show and we'll reveal how you can be our next guest in 15 to 20 minutes. Let's go. Hello, hello, and welcome. Welcome once again to the Secrets of the High Demand Coach podcast. And I am here with an absolutely high demand coach, and that is uh, Mr. Eric Cruz. Eric is passionate about helping companies achieve their growth goals, and he's guided over 100 organizations to increase and sustainable profitability while simultaneously optimizing their operations and instituting elevated quality of life for their leadership teams. There's so much in there to unpack, Eric, and, and and I can't wait to explore just what each of those elements mean. But before we get there, uh, first, just welcome to the show. Uh, and I'd love to just start with your story. How did you get into coaching and why did you ultimately make the leap? Yeah, it's a great question. So <clears throat> I got into coaching. I'm a longtime member of a group called the Entrepreneurs Organization. I'm sure you've had a bunch of EOers associated with EOers. Now, as the past president of the organization, I've been in that group for almost 17 years. So big shout out to EO if people want to get involved in something. Um, and I had some regular businesses, some non-coaching businesses that I've owned for years. Uh, a lot, I've owned a lot of service businesses, and I still do own some regular service businesses. Um, and the companies that I worked with were scaling nationally. So, so EO, after I was president, said, can you help out some companies that are under the sub-million dollar mark to get them over the million dollar mark? Can you do that as a volunteer? And I did that for years. I probably worked with 20, 25 CEOs as a volunteer. And then a couple of them said, can you help out more on a paid basis? And I said, sure, I can take a few clients. And I started doing that maybe 10 years ago. And then I evolved and I I became an EOS implementer, one of the first EOS implementers way back when in New England, eight or nine years ago. And um, I had no intention of growing a consulting business or coaching business, but I worked in the EOS world for years. EOS is a great system. Um, And... Ultimately, we ended up leaving and founding our, founding our own consulting company because we are so focused on results. Um, and we really do appreciate the value of an operating system, but we also want to be more accountable to the results that our clients get. So I kind of winded up here by accident. Um, and I still have regular businesses. Actually, I still own, I have a partner. We own a commercial, a commercial painting company that's uh, scaling nationally right now. It almost made the Inc. 500 actually uh, two years ago. So my world's about working with entrepreneurs. You know, our current, our uh, Cruising Co. works with, I think we're 105 companies actively right now across the United States. Um, oh. My whole world's been about scaling entrepreneurs, but it came from helping them as a volunteer. And it all comes from the spirit of that I also am an entrepreneur and um, I'm just humbled to be able to work with them, honestly. Yeah. It's, 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 it's a non-easy space to be in. 
Wow. That is absolutely the truth. So it was one of the questions as I was just looking through some of uh, your website and and materials ahead of this. uh, One of the things that I noticed is how much entrepreneurial experience you have yourself. And how do you think that shapes your approach as a coach and consultant with your clients? So first of all, I can't stand consultants. um, And I have a consulting company. So, um, and sometimes it can't stand me either. So I got to be careful. So it's, uh, I have a strong belief. Our firm focuses on small and medium-sized companies. So we focus on companies that are from one or two million dollars, usually, in size, uh, up to uh, you know we work we work companies that are up to half a billion. So, but we focus. Our goal is to have provide consulting services, finance services, whatever they need for consulting, to a market that typically cannot um, really they can't they can't afford it. So. Um, you know, for us, uh, we're we're trying to scale into this whole thing and uh, and do this. And um, you know, it's um, you know, I don't even uh, it, that's what that's what inspires me to do it. And and that's kind of how we ended up. And um, you know, and that's that's kind of the gist of it, really. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. One of the main reasons I started this podcast is because I, you know, I get to travel across the country. I get to work with lots of of CEOs and and teach folks around the world. And one of the things that I noticed is that so many of them have had a bad coaching or consulting experience to the extent of like, I'd say, hey, how many of you have had a coach or consultant in the past? And somewhere around nine out of 10 hands would go up in the circles that I'm in. I say, how many of you had a bad coaching consulting experience? And about nine out of 10 of those had a bad experience with a coach or consultant. And so, um, you know, I I don't want that to to rag on the coaching consulting industry. In fact, the reason I started the podcast was to say, hey, this is what great coaches look like. So tell me a little bit about I would say what that means to you is like, I, I I don't like consultants. I don't even like being one some days, but how do we overcome that? So you're, you're getting around, you know, some great questions here. So it, uh, so one, I am lucky and I, and I mean, truly lucky. Uh, uh, I just happen to be in the right place at the right time and a few different things. One, I have a great coach. So I was coached by somebody who was great for years. Um, and so I learned about the format of coaching from somebody who's phenomenal at it. And I was one of his earlier clients. Uh, two, I'm still an entrepreneur. So, uh, and my companies are in the tens of millions of dollars. I've had I've had 11,000 employees in the time I've been an entrepreneur. Wow. And um, I've been through it all. Um, extreme difficulties, um, uh, extreme successes. And uh, I think the reason that uh, I don't like consultants is because they have a playbook. If they're good, hopefully they have a playbook. But you can end up in consulting if you're not good at what you're doing. And um, we got lucky. You know, I was an EOS implementer and more powered, all power to EOS. It's a great system. So if you're listening, you're using EOS, good for you. I know the scaling up people. So I know them quite well. Uh, I've been an EO forever. I own my own business. So I kind of built, we built an operating system in our company. That was the, the takes the operational, a lot of the operational strength from EOS, a lot of the strategy from scaling up, and then applies it to the knowledge that we have from actually running companies. Mm-hmm. And we have a, a core value of your business is our business. And so we catch ourselves, we call it a quarterly meeting mindset. We try and get ourselves out of the mindset of we're in a room or even a conversation like this. And you're like, well, you want to say certain things. Like the answer is write people, write seats. And the answer is you want to do this. And I'm like, yeah. 
we lean into cliches too. Like I love cliches, but at some point we try and net it out to what do we actually do in this situation? Right. And when we apply that filter to it, it's usually a different answer. It's the playbook tells us this, and we have a huge elaborate system. You know, we have a, you know, an operating system that we help our clients with and we rely on it and we have, it's, it's, we're kind of, you know, we can be rigid on it, but we're only as rigid as we, as we need to be, to be realistic with the client we're talking to in their situation. Um, so, you know, I say hey, consultants, although I work with a bunch of them and I am one, I, I think the only way you should do this job is if you care almost as much about your clients as you do or really as much about your own clients as you do your own business. Yeah. And um, so, and most consultants don't do that. And they they charge a lot of money and build scalable models. I appreciate it. I like, I'm my whole business is about scalable models, but I think the scalable model for us is what is this one client doing? Are they successful or not? Are we doing that a hundred times? Yes, but we care about the one client and we watch all their metrics internally. So we we judge our success based on revenue, growth, profitability, growth, and valuation. So we come up with the formulas for those things, and we have a consultant team of 11 people. If we don't think those numbers are going the right direction, we consider ourselves to be a failure. Uh, and we try and come up with whatever we need to do to help them succeed. Yeah. So, you know, we're kind of like the anti-consultant consultant in that way. Um, and it's not easy. You know, our business proposition is not an easy one, um, but, you know, we happen to be good at it. So I guess yeah. it works. Yeah. Fantastic. What would you say is some of the most important work you're doing with your clients right now? That's another great question. Important work. So, well, it goes back to a question you might ask me soon, which is uh, around kind of what lessons people should be learning and things they should be doing. So, you know, like I said, I do have a great coach. So it, it, we have tons and tons of things we focus on in the client's business. We focus on strategy. We focus on people. We focus on operations. We focus on finance. But the consultant's cheat sheet, in my opinion, or a coach's cheat sheet, is that 90% of the game is getting the right people in the right seats. So back to that cliche. So when we lean into it and we're overcomplicating things, I would say the most important thing we're trying to do, especially at the senior leadership level, if we're working, depending on the size of the firm, is we're trying to make sure they have the right people, the right seats, but not only the right people, the right seats, the right people, the right seats for where they are as an organization at that time. And that's a big thing. So people say, well, like that cliche from Jim Collins gets a lot, gets a lot of traction because it's great. But right people, right seats needs to be, it's more important. It's right people, right seats for where you are as a business at this very moment. And then we help them map out, this is what it looks like right now, Q1, 2023. What should that look like in Q2, by Q2, 2024? It should look like this. So we give people a vision for how people can accelerate their business, yeah. which is not easy to do. But um, we don't, you know, our businesses are scaling, they're growing. So they get stuck a lot with these people. And uh, they can't figure out a map to get to the next location. And I say, well, how long can this person make it in this role? Maybe another $2 million. Okay. Then we got to be careful. We don't try and push it to $4 million because we're going to get over our skis there. Yeah. But that's probably the most important work that we do, I would I would say. 
Yeah, I, I just could not agree more with that concept because where right people, right seats tends to drive me crazy is that we think of it in absolutes. This is a good person or a bad person. Bingo. This is the right person or the wrong person, you know, and and it creates really, really you know, lousy team dynamics and awkward conversations when it's growing because it's like, well, if we said they were the right person back then, why is it that they're not the right person? Oh, because they're bad somehow, right? That, that that tends to be one of the few tools we have left to explain it if we don't embrace this idea of when. So I, I love, love that you identified that. Uh, I want to dig in a little bit deeper because you're doing this a lot for clients and it's a, a really, really powerful principle. What would you say are some of the, the patterns or principles that you use to help clients identify what's right for right now? Huh. This is probably not your first podcast, is it? I'm betting it's not. That's a great question. All right. So that's a hard question. Don't you have anything else easier, like personally <laughs> in my lifetime or something? All right. So uh so one, you gotta figure out. So that's a big question. And I'm gonna give you the micro version, in our opinion. One, you gotta figure out what kind of business this actually is. Like, so how does this business actually scale? Is it a business that scales through hiring reps to sell this product? Is it an organic business? Is it a referral business? Like what's the engine that makes this business grow? Um, and you gotta kind of think about that. So some businesses grow off referrals, some business grows off, off marketing and content. Some people grow off product differentiation. Some people grow off uh, hiring sales reps. There's all these different growth models that exist out there. So you gotta figure out what your growth engine is because you have to have the right people in those seats that are heavy on those things that drive growth. Now that can look like a at a smaller company, a inexpensive biz dev hire. Uh, <clears throat> God love her. Uh, people ask how we grow our commercial business, painting business so large because we hired this amazing woman named Joanne. She'll listen to this podcast and she'll love this. She's one of the best biz devers we've I've ever met. Um, and but she's been pivotal in helping us grow our company. And people think, well, you're a huge company. How could that one person be so pivotal? Because our growth engine, because she accelerated our growth engine and she was the right hire we needed at that time. So you got to figure out what your growth model is. What are your points that are going to make your company grow? And then make sure you have the level of talent needed to grow you. Ideally, I pick three years out. So ideally, you can hire, if you map out your three-year vision, ideally, this person you're hiring can get you to three years. So if you're if you're at 2 million, you're trying to get to, to say 4 million in three years. Uh, I would say, can they get you to 4 million? No. How far can they get you? 3 million? Okay. Well, then let's try and map out what that next person looks like. Um, and you know, if it's a marketing person, if, if it's a if it's a market-driven thing and the marketer's not going to make it, I'm going to say, look, you, you're going to have to go heavy on and price tag on a price point on this marketing seat because that's how your business accelerates. Yes. Um, if it's a referral type business, I'm going to probably say you're going to have to go heavy on quality control and ops. And you're going to want to spend a lot of money in that seat. Um, and then as it scales, it really gets down to the typical C-suite, you know, as you start getting bigger, you get, you get to have a head of finance, you got to have a head of sales and you got to have a head of ops. And then you got to have a, you know, president or, you know, general manager or whatever you're calling it, an integrator, if you're an EOS person, um, but you need to have somebody to do that. But in the early days though, you only have limited amount of funds. So I would invest first. I get this question a lot. First, I'd invest in things that are going to make you money. And then I would also make sure you cover operational quality at the yeah. same time at the level at the cheapest level you can you can afford that keeps the quality high. That's how that's how we do it. Yeah. 
Oh, that is so good. There's so much wisdom in that for folks. And and it, it, what it does, I think uh, there's two big things that it does. It just relieves the pressure for folks who are trying to overhire too soon, right? Because if you hear you got to have A players, you know, there's this immense pressure on, especially small businesses, those million dollars, sub-million dollar to compete with outrageous salaries relative to what they could afford, right? And so the specificity of that last comment is just is incredible. And it's going to be really helpful if you're listening, rewind and listen to that again because it's really great advice. Second thing about that is, um, you know, a lot of different tools and platforms will talk about an org charter, an accountability charter, fill in the blank, you know, whatever you want to call it. And I've found a lot of people will resist that at first because it feels like, why are we doing that? It's just, it's kind of like your, your, you know, PNL to an extent, it just explains what happened in the past. But what you're talking about is using an org chart as a planning tool. And it's an yes. absolute game changer. Yes, that's right. Yeah, that's, we focus on people, operations, finance, and strategy. So, you know, if we had a bunch of hours, you know, I could probably talk to you about all this stuff and you'd probably give me a lot of wisdom that you've heard from all these people. Um, but for the people part, in my opinion, 90% of the game is people. Even if you're a product company, like you have to have somebody who's going to be innovative at product. So your company to the degree that you're able to make the necessary staffing changes at the right points in your company as it grows, in my opinion, is the almost in direct relation to the ability that you are going to be able to hit your growth targets. Now, that's a very difficult statement because what it means is that you have to be able to have very difficult conversations. You have to often invest, invest ahead of where you are. Sometimes you have to bring in fractional talent. But you have to have a both extremely compassionate and caring uh, personality. You have to love your team. And you have to be able to maneuver people from into seats where they're, they sit. And they may, list, they may last for 10, 20 years. It's possible. But if they get to their ceiling, you have to then find the person that can do that role for the next couple of years. Yeah. And then elegantly move that next person into maybe the reporting to that person. And if you don't master that art, your business won't grow and your team will get cheated out of career development, honestly. So people yeah. say, well, I love that person. I say, well, how much? You're blocking their career because, you know, they don't know anymore. They're, gonna, they're not going to learn it here. Uh, and so when you find amazing talent as you grow, the people that initially resisted it, always say the same thing, which is, I'm so thankful you hired that person. I've kept my job. They end up making more money because now they're more leveraged. They're better leveraged and they have a better path. So, yeah. but, you know, it's like, it's like, I don't like consultants, me being one of them because uh, that's hard. Like that's, so when we say that, we know like that's not easy. Like this yeah. person's been five years and they say, well, that person's been here five years. And I say, well, that's terrible. But that yeah. fact does not change this fact. And I yeah. think that we still need to maneuver around that organization yeah. to do that. So we do map it out intentionally. And then if a company says, well, I know that, that we need to make that change, but we're not comfortable. We want to wait nine months. We say, no problem. Nine months is better than never. So then we map that out and we get agreement on that. We may, and sometimes help, help, it helps people to say, I got to prepare the company for that move. How about I do it in nine months? Great. Yeah. Let's put it in the map for nine months out. Yeah. And, you know, and that's how we do it. So we look at companies as this progression. And if people can stay in the seats for a long time, that's amazing. But generally speaking, if you do this right, 
everybody wins in the organization if you do yeah. it right. And if you yeah. don't do it right, everybody in the organization loses. Yes. And I can't, I can't tell you this enough. And I've, you know, and I do this myself in my, my own organization to the degree that you leave the wrong person in a seat, that part of the business generally stops completely. And if you have the rest of the business accelerating the right level, you really can create problems. Um, so, you know, that's my experience on that. Hi there, this is Scott Retemerin. For over a decade as an entrepreneur, I thought coaching didn't work. I'd had some bad experiences with the wrong coaches and all that left me feeling like I had to figure it all out on my own. And while I wouldn't have admitted it back then, that was scary. It felt isolating and it left me constantly wondering what was around the next corner or when the shoe was going to drop. Then I found two great coaches and with their help and support, I discovered and implemented the predictable success model and my company tripled its profitability in a single year adding over a million dollars to our bottom line and now my team of scale architects and i get to enjoy the privilege of helping leaders like you achieve even greater results through our individual coaching and team acceleration programs if you'd like to scale your business or nonprofit, boost your profits build a strong leadership team or even simply become a better leader with less stress schedule your free 15-minute call with me at www.scalearchitects.com slash 15. That's scalearchitects.com slash one five. Now back to the show. Yeah, I made that mistake more times than I can count. Yeah, and, and yeah, I, I would say if you look at every big kind of inflection point in a business, it is at least one or two people decisions that's right. in between you and that, you know, you can, you can bring in a consultant, you can teach strategies and tactics until you're blue in the face. But if you don't have the right people to execute on those, then they're just not going to stick and, and if they have it at all. And that's the broad strokes. I mean, there's a thousand things that are more to it. Uh, they're, they're additional to that, but that one will definitely stop you. There's no question yeah. about that. Yeah. And for those of you listening, I just want to pause for a second and say uh, what Eric has done so far in this conversation. I've asked him about four or five questions that each are about an hour long answer. Uh, and he's done all of this in about maybe 15, 20 minutes. So uh, just a masterful articulation of just some really, really profound topics. And uh, and Eric, I, I want to do this to you one more time. I did give you a heads up about this one. And, I'll, uh, and so uh, we'll make it a little easier. But I love to ask every one of my guests this one question. That is, what's the biggest secret that you wish wasn't a secret at all? What's that one thing that you wish everybody listening today knew? So this is a big one. Um, and many firms do know this. Um, I want to be careful how I say this. This is also a reflection on me because I have done what I'm about to say, in my opinion, is a big secret. I did not likely even get right until maybe I was in my... I'm 52, probably when I was late 30s to 40s. And it's one, I have no regrets in my life around anything. But the one thing I would say I wish I'd done more of my entire career is being more strategic about things. Now, here's what I mean by that. So you can get work with operating systems to focus on operations. And you can be an EO, I know, or Vistage, whatever group you're in. And you a lot of stuff is about operations. It's about how do you run a better business? Right people, right seats is operations, really. But ultimately, when we work with a company, I asked them, uh, assuming everything was fixed, 
which we can usually fix a company in a year and a half to two years. We can usually fix it. Uh, the comp- that won't make you grow necessarily. It might help. Like it might help you to do better. But companies that everybody idolizes, a lot of them are not even that well run, honestly. They just have a thing that is sold because they thought of it. And people think, well, Steve Jobs is a great entrepreneur. I would say Steve Jobs is an innovative entrepreneur and he's, he was extremely intelligent. But I don't think he read books about how to run a better company. Like, I don't think that's in his bookshelf, right? Like, he's not watching any of this stuff. You know, Bill Gates, I don't think he doesn't even like people, right? Like, he's like, he's a, he built a great machine. Um, so I think there's a confusion that if you're going to go in and fix the operations of your business, that you're going to have this great home run. And I do agree that's extremely important. And we focus on it big time. But we then focus on if we're trying to go from $3 million to $6 million or from $6 million to $30 million, once we get operationally fixed up, what strategies do we need to be employing? What what is our actual strategy into the market? What's going to give us no friction into the market? And that's not an easy question because you have to have addressable market. You have to make sure that what you're selling is needed by people. Uh, and you got to do your homework on that, which nobody does, honestly, You, other than just they think people like it. You have to really ask yourself, am I innovating something here? Is this, do I, should I be, am I innovating something in which case you better be good at innovation if that's what you're good at? Or am I, do I have a commodity here in which case you better be able to do it faster, stronger, and cheaper, but faster, cheaper, and easier to use. Like you have to be. So you got to figure out what your scaling proposition is, and it, you got to figure out what differentiates you, because it's not enough to say I'm just going to get it done. And I spent a long time in my life just saying I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to die trying. And I wish I had taken like ten or fifteen of those years, and just said, wait a second, before I die trying, should I even be doing this in the first place? Yeah. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs are like tenacity, never quit. And in our company, I say, look, never quit unless it's stupid to be doing what you're doing, in which case quit. Like it's you got to step back and you have to figure out, is this smart? Do I have the right strategy? Am I looking at the right things? And now let's make sure we don't give up and not quit and having great operational business. But I didn't do that until I was 40 years old. So, you know, I would have changed. I would have done things differently. I probably would have picked different spaces to be in. I would have played in different markets. I would look to value prop a lot different, yeah. differently, but you know, so that would be my biggest, uh, biggest That's thing. Exceptional, exceptional advice. Uh, and thank you for sharing it because it's not easy lessons to learn. No. Uh, and so those of you who heard it and have the opportunity to skip some of the pain of those lessons, I would strongly encourage you take, uh, take Eric up on it, but, uh, all right. So in just a second, I want to figure out how we can get folks connected to you, uh, and where they can find more about you. But before we get there, I want to have you take off your consultant hat for a moment, put on your entrepreneur CEO hat and talk to us a little bit more. It's a great segue, just the strategy, what you think is next for growth for you, particularly in your coaching consulting business? It's a great question. So ultimately, we are truly entrepreneurs. So when, when I go work with a client or our, our companies, go, our consultants go work with a client, we're just working with another entrepreneur who's likely having some type of challenges we are, depending on what phase of the journey they are. So our consulting company, and I mean, I only know how to be very honest, our companies are all in different phases that we own. And our consulting company it's about a, you know, I think we're about a, a $5 million business. Okay. So uh, that's where we are. And uh, we have goals to, to grow, 
and all this other stuff. Um, but to do that, we are working right now. Uh, we realize, you know, we're we practice what we preach. So I look at it and like, if we're operationally strong, our clients love us. We have very low churn. People stay with us for a very long time. That is not going to flywheel us into our numbers. It just won't. So we are currently working on what is the flywheel mechanism inside our business, uh, the Jim Collins thing, two or three things that are going to work together in tandem to help spin up our business so that it spins and grows frictionlessly in the market. Yeah. So we're working on what are those two or three legs of the stool that are going to get that flywheel going. Um, because we are growing, we're growing at a rapid rate, but we're not going to grow at the rate that our I look at our team's numbers. I look at those numbers and I'm like, yeah, I don't buy that. Like we don't have the flywheel for that. So we're trying to build that flywheel and figure out what that is. Is it, is it marketing mechanisms? Is it structure? Is it offerings in the market? What's going to make the market just say, I want that. And, yes. and then we don't have to work as hard. So that's yeah. what we're working on. Um, we're getting closer. We have some companies that we own. The consulting business is not one of them. I think in the consulting business, we have like one of the three legs of the stool right right now. In our commercial painting business, actually, we almost have all three legs. They're starting to flywheel up. Um, but our companies are in different phases. So um, the consulting business, though, oh, yeah, we're obsessing over that problem right now. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Uh, what a fantastic conversation, Eric. It was just an absolute delight having you on the show. Uh, just an honor. I'm so glad you're here. Uh, to everyone who is listening, your time and attention mean the world to us. Uh, I hope you got as much out of this conversation as I did, and I cannot wait to see you next time. Take care. Scott Ritzheimer here. Thank you so much for listening to the Secrets of High Demand Coaches podcast. If you are a successful coach, consultant, or advisor who's built a strong book of business and would like to be on the program, please visit go.scalearchitects.com. And if you got something out of this interview, would you share this episode on social media and just do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend or post it on the socials? If you know someone who'd be a great guest, you can tag them on social media to let them know about the show. And make sure you include the hashtag high demand coaching. I love seeing your posts. I love seeing your guest suggestions. Thank you so much. We are regularly putting out new episodes and content to make sure you don't miss any of those episodes. Go ahead and subscribe now. Your thumbs up, your ratings, your reviews, they go a long way to help us promote the show and they mean a lot to me and my team. If you want to know more, you can go to our website, www.scalearchitects.com, or you can follow me or the company on LinkedIn, Facebook, or Instagram. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time.